0: Hello everyone, I'm Em, and I'm a 30 year theatre student and I have the privilege of reading the Bible passage which is on the inside cover of your page, so please follow along with me. At Caesarea there was a man named Cornelius, a centurion of what was known as the Italian cohort, a devout man who feared God with all his household, gave alms generously to the people and prayed continually to God. About the ninth hour of the day, he saw clearly in a vision an angel of God come in and say to him, Cornelius. And he stared at him in terror and said, What is it, Lord? And he said to him, Your prayers and your arms have ascended as a memorial before God. And now send men to Joppa and bring one Simon who is called Peter. He is lodging with one Simon, a tanner, whose house is by the sea. When the angel who spoke to him had departed, he called two of his servants and a devout soldier from among those who attended him, and having related everything to them, he sent them to job up. The next day, as they were on their journey and approaching the city, Peter went up on the house on the house top about the sixth hour to pray, and he became hungry and wanted something to eat, But while they were preparing it he fell into a trance, and saw the heavens opened up and saw and something like a great sheet descending, being let down by its four corners upon the earth. I am the one you are looking for. What is the reason for your coming? And they said Cornelius, a centurion, an upright and god-fearing man, who was well known, well, well spoken of by the whole Jewish nation, was directed by a holy angel to send for you to come to his house and to hear what you have to say. So he invited them in to be his guests. The next day he rose and went away with them, and some of the brothers from Joppa accompanied him. And on the following day they entered Caesarea. Cornelius was expecting them and had called together his relatives and close friends. When Peter entered, Cornelius met him and fell down at his feet and worshipped him. But Peter lifted him up, saying, "'Stand up, I too am a man.' And as he talked with him, he went in and found many persons gathered. And he said to them, "'You yourselves know how unlawful it is for a Jew to associate with or to visit anyone of another nation.' But God has shown me that I should not call any person common or unclean. So when I was sent for, I came without objection. I asked them why you sent for me.
1: Good evening, everybody. It's good to see you here. I you did have a yeah, yesterday, it's been Anzac Day, uh, a restful day of what you may not normally have been doing, and uh, perhaps a day to reflect uh, and think, think about uh, perhaps even relatives that you know have been involved or are involved in armed forces, uh, perhaps a day to reflect on um, the state of the world in conflict day to escape about such things. Anzac Day is not a straightforward day for some the, each year it becomes a bit more complicated as to uh, no one's, not everyone is sure how it should be celebrated or, or why we celebrate or if it's a celebration at all or what's the purpose and the discussion of whether we should make up our own thing for it, whether we should do away with it or what should be the case but we have a public holiday that's what everyone probably agrees on that we have a day mm-hmm. Anzac Day does provide us with time to reflect and remember we do remember those that have given their lives and fallen and died far too early compared to most people who fought in wars as very young people uh, people who have helped them in the process, have given their lives. We remember the horror of war, so that we can keep away from it. There is a much more of a movement towards having <coughs> Anzac Day as a time when we remember. We don't remember war; we remember the people who gave their lives, uh, people who gave up so much. But if we do move away from Anzac Day or days like it, if we do move away from them being time when we remember war, we don't think about that. We are leaving ourselves short-sighted when we don't actually reflect on what war is and why it occurs. If we don't spend time reflecting on how did we ever let this happen, we'll never be able to stop it happening in the future. If we don't take time out to think, why? Why did this happen? Why do nations and people so conflict that they send hundreds and thousands of people against each other to kill? If we don't think about these things, we'll never solve any problems. We'll never work out peace. And peace is a difficult thing to work out. I understand why people don't talk about it or don't want to think about it in terms of um, how to fix all the problems of the world and bring peace because it's very difficult. Whose peace do you bring? My peace? Uh, The peace that I like? But what about when my peace incurs upon somebody else's peace? Or when somebody else's peace incurs on mine? How do we work out what peace is the right peace to be working towards? And What about when I do see a peace that's actually overriding someone else's peace such that it's worthwhile not having peace to bring about a different sort of peace? And we have um, conflicts that are actually for good reasons, though we can't actually see that, even at the time. And then they're all mixed up and we get it wrong anyway. Seeking peace is a difficult thing. I can't find peace. For myself and I can't find peace for others. Because I can't step outside my own misguided view of how I see things. Anybody who thinks that they can see things clearly, that no like no one else can, is just deluded that they think that they've got the most accurate sense (coughs) of vision of anyone. They're just self-deluded. In one sense, it's better those who say, I have no idea how to bring about peace. Let's just remember those who have fallen, which is a good thing. No, we need to understand peace. But what we need is someone, someone from outside the system, who's not infected by the system, to actually teach us and tell us and show us a much better way which is what we do see happening in this chapter of Acts. As we do begin to look at it, I'm going to leave us in prayer. This is God's word to us, and if that's what you believe and hold to, then you can say Amen to this prayer. Lord, we thank you for this time together this afternoon. We pray that as we do look at Acts chapter 10, or to hear you speak, that we would be able to understand what you're saying, understand your heart and to be able to respond in obedience we pray in Jesus name Amen. well we've seen from the beginning of Acts if you've been with us looking over this this book of Acts that it's God himself who orchestrates all of the action that happens across all of these chapters we saw it last week with Philip the evangelist taking the gospel into Samaria unexpectedly it wasn't the apostles it was Philip the evangelist and you remember as well the same Philip took the gospel to the eunuch who's out in the middle of the desert happening to be reading Isaiah 53 and he so suddenly pops up right there you would have never have planned it that way you could never have planned it that way God's orchestrating everything to a T we see again this week that God's action, uh, God is acting and orchestrating everything in this chapter. But we also see uh, it with the speaking that happens in this chapter, that God Himself is managing everything. Uh, from the little bit that was read for us, uh, we see that Cornelius begins with Cornelius seeing an angel, and the angel speaks personally to him from God. Uh, jump over to Peter who's in the city of Joppa, and he has a vision, not of a person, but this big sheep thing, and we'll come back to what that is. But Peter hears a voice three times, and Peter responds with, by no means, Lord. It's the Lord who's speaking to him. Also, as Peter is making sense of the vision, we're told, the Spirit speaks to him. Behold, three men are looking for you. All of this is not from God, not from man, but from God. God himself. And it just brings, it clarifies what we've seen all along, that God is orchestrating everything. And if you remember back to Acts chapter 5, when there was the religious leaders in council in Jerusalem, they're not the apostles, they're against the apostles. And Gamaliel, one of the Pharisees, pipes up and says, don't oppose these men. Acts chapter 5, verse 38-39 If this thing is from man it will fail. But if this is from God you're only opposing God and you will fail. And we see that reverberating throughout all of these chapters. God speaks here. The spirit of God speaks here. All of this is from God. But it's not just God, full stop. If you've got eyes to see, can you actually see it's God as Father, Son and Spirit. All the way through Acts, from the very beginning. It's the Father who sends the Spirit. It's the Father of Jesus who sends the Spirit out. And here we have God speaking. Here we have the Lord speaking. Here we have the Spirit speaking. The Spirit of God speaks. Uh, you see it there <coughs> actually you don't see it in the passage that you have immediately in front of you uh, you have it down in a poster someone tell me very good I'll, come to, I'll find that for you in a moment. But the Spirit speaks to Peter. Uh, and don't overlook the importance of the Spirit speaking. There's a natural tendency amongst Christians uh, to speak of the Spirit as an it, or as a force, or an impersonal being that's related to God somehow. Uh, and... Possibly with good reason. The word spirit is an abstract word in English. In Greek it's an abstract word too. It's, uh, it's not a personal word in and of itself. Um, the spirit's activity here is falling upon, uh, being poured out upon. They're not normal sort of person type activities. So the tendency to talk of the spirit and think of the spirit as a, uh, as a force is understandable. But here we see that the spirit speaks audibly verse 19 19. thank you Sam (laughs) oh it is in the bit that I was thinking of and while Peter was pondering the vision the spirit said to him the spirit said to him behold three men are looking for you you could argue that the spirit speaks in an abstract sort of way a bit like maybe argument you know like that movie really spoke to me. Uh, not audibly, but it's not the sense here, is it? Movies don't speak to you and say, behold, three men are looking for you. They're down buying popcorn downstairs or something like that. Here the Spirit speaks personally. And the the action shows, as it all the way through Acts shows, the Trinity in action. In Acts, God shows himself as Father, Son, and Spirit in action, actively working together. And you can see it not just in the words that are spoken, but in the action that's in this chapter as well because God reveals himself as he executes his action. Uh, once and again, you see that he oversees all the detail. Cornelius gets explicit directions by the angel that speaks to him from God. Send men to Joppa to a man called Simon who you've never met you would not have a clue who he is he's staying with an animal skin tanner uh, a tanner called Simon in seaside town of Joppa there's no mistaking you've got to find this guy who's a tanner uh, you can probably smell him from a long way away apparently uh, and so the men go off it's apparently about a 12 hour walk at least, what Google Maps says. I don't have the Google Maps for you, but Cornelius is up in Caesarea, and the spirit, uh, sorry, the angel says that Simon is with Simon the Tanner down in Joppa, and so Cornelius sends his men off, and Peter is praying at noon. He falls into a trance and sees a vision, and we'll come to the details of the vision in a moment, but. As Peter's wondering about the vision, the Spirit speaks to him and says, yes, there are three men downstairs looking for you. Go down with them without hesitation. Now, you read that and you think, oh yeah, I could go with that. I I could do that. But it's probably a bit of an awkward meeting. Have you ever actually had someone turn up to your house that you've never met and been told you should go with these people? actually not really all that normal. (laughs) Especially when Peter walks downstairs and opens the door and sees that they are Gentiles. Not meant to, not allowed to go with Gentiles and walk with them and spend time with them. This is a rather awkward sort of meeting. But Peter nonetheless says, I'm the one that you're looking for. Uh, Why do you want me? Well, they're not really sure exactly why they want Peter. Except that they know that they're supposed to take him away, and take him back to their master Cornelius, and they tell the story about the angel, and they all travel back to Caesarea. Peter, along with some of his own companions, and they all arrive at Cornelius's house. And there's more awkwardness. Uh, first, you see that Cornelius falls down before Peter, and begins to worship him. It's in the next verse 24 on the following day they entered Caesarea Cornelius was expecting them and had called together his relatives and close friends when Peter entered Cornelius met him and fell down at his feet and worshipped him this is rather awkward for a Jew who understands the Ten Commandments very well that no one should be worshipped except God alone. And here is the very representative of God being worshipped by somebody. And so Peter says, Stand up, I too am man. And as he walked with him, talked with him, he went in and found many persons gathered. Uh, more awkwardnesses follow in this little encounter. Verse 28. And he said to them, Peter said to those that are gathered, You yourselves know how unlawful it is for a Jew to associate with or to visit anyone of another nation. But God has shown me that I should not call any person common or unclean. It's a little bit of a concession from Peter, but it's rather awkward. I shouldn't be here because you guys are unclean. You guys are unacceptable. But God has told me that I shouldn't worry about the fact that you're unclean and unacceptable, and so I'm here and this is actually unlawful for me to be here, but I'm here. This is not really a fantastic buddy-buddy-pal sort of situation. The only reason that they are there is because God has brought them together and said, you guys work this out. You guys, I want you here in this place together. But Cornelius doesn't know exactly why he's there either. And so, well, Peter's not sure why he's there. Uh, Peter says in verse 29, So when I was sent for, I came without objection. I asked then why you sent for me. I'm not sure exactly why. I'm not supposed to be here, but why did you send me? Well, Cornelius continues, Four days ago, about this hour, I was praying in my house at the ninth hour, and he goes on to recount what had happened to him. But he's not sure, because he finishes the whole thing. Um, Now, therefore, we're all here in the presence of God to hear all that you've been commanded by the Lord. Well, Peter's not sure what he's been commanded by the Lord to do. He doesn't know why he's there. Cornelius doesn't know why he's there. And so, Peter just goes ahead and tells them about the message, that uh, about Jesus and the message of Jesus. No one really knows exactly what's happening. It goes to show that God is actually the one that's in control here. This is a God thing, it's not a man thing. He's the one who's in control of every detail. Not the Apostle Peter, not Cornelius. And especially so, given that this is a momentous occasion. A momentous occasion, as we'll see in a moment. You have to ask the question as this passage shows us that God is sovereignly in control of every detail, you have to ask the question isn't God in control of every occasion whether it's highly orchestrated like this or just an ordinary everyday thing isn't God in control of even the most small banal things of life, like brushing your teeth whether you take this toothbrush or that toothbrush or this toothbrush, the red one, the green one, the blue one, and you may have just worked out that one of them's supposed to be yours, then it's not interchangeable in your family. I mean God God in control of all of those things, God's in control of all of those things. So is there any difference to saying that God's in control in a very extraordinary way and saying God's in control in a very ordinary way? God's in control whether we recognise it and can see it like this or whether it's just hidden to us is not God still in control what's the big deal here then I think the big deal here is that God is showing us and telling us revealing to us as he reveals the action that he is in control and he wants it to be very clear that this is not something that's come about By the origin of man or the thoughts of man or the plans of man he's always sovereign but he wants us to see it especially here because this is the big breakthrough moment of God's plan that has been anticipated for centuries and millennia as God reaches out to include all peoples to himself This is the moment when all that the prophets testified about, as Peter says here, this is the moment when not just God's Jewish people who have been scattered throughout the world are brought back, back to God, not just when the people who've become Jewish proselytes from amongst the Gentiles are brought to God, but now the people of the nations first of all seen in Cornelius are brought near to God in an unmistakable way verse 43 to him all the prophets bear witness that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name through the name of Jesus everyone everyone whether Jew now or Gentile. Now, the idea is not new. It's been there in the prophets right from the very beginning, actually right back with Abraham, perhaps before, when the promise to Abraham is that through you all nations will be blessed, and every prophet from there on in. Anticipating this day when the Gentiles would be included amongst God's people. Now to you and I it just seems like, well, we're used to that. That's because we're amongst the Gentiles. Uh, we weren't there back in that time. For us, it just seems like every day. But listen to what Peter said, sorry, what Paul says in Ephesians chapter 2 about this very situation. Ephesians chapter 2 verse 12, and he's speaking to us Gentiles. Remember that you were at one time separated from Christ alienated from the Commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. there you go. that's us as Gentiles, strangers to the covenants, no hope, and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off, have been brought near by the blood of Christ, for he himself is our peace. This is what's revealed in a very new and fresh way to Peter. And how is it revealed to Peter? Well, the best way to reveal things is through food. <laughs> Back to the vision that Peter has. He sees as he's in a trance up on the top of the roof in verse 11. He saw heavens open and something like a great sheep ascending, being let down by four corners upon the earth. In it were all kinds of animals, reptiles and birds of the air, and there came a voice to him. Peter, rise, kill and eat but Peter said, by no means Lord for I have never eaten anything that is common or unclean and the voice came to him again saying what God has made clean do not call common what God has made clean do not call common this vision comes to Peter not because downstairs these three guys have got a bowl of lizards for Peter to eat you know, the vision be able to get worked up for that it's because there's three unclean men downstairs that are going to take him off to the house of someone who's unclean to a place that he's not supposed to go to do not call unclean what God has declared and made clean and it's hard for us to grasp hold of just how difficult this is for Peter but you sort of get it. You ever had that thing where someone puts something in your face that's just really unpalatable? They say, you yeah, try this, try that. Jeez, smell God. this, <laughs> smell that. <laughs> it's, cheese. it's cheese at mid year conference with <laughs> James Chen trying to eat cheese. Uh, it's just unpalatable. It's like, get that away from me. It's that sort of experience. It's like, here, Peter, here's a cockroach sandwich. <laughs> eat this. But. The message turns to reality in verse 34. When Peter opens his mouth and says, Truly I understand. Truly I understand that God shows no partiality, but in every nation, anyone who fears Him, but in every nation, anyone who fears Him and does what is right is acceptable to Him. As for the word that He sent to Israel, preaching, as for the word that he sent to Israel preaching good news of peace through Jesus Christ he is Lord of all you yourselves know what happened throughout all Judea beginning from Galilee after the baptism that John proclaimed how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power for Peter it becomes a reality as he comes to the house of this Gentile and shares with him the news of Jesus and the reality that God shows no partiality. It's the same for us today, as in, it's the same message for us, but the reality of dealing with that which is different to us, comes to us, as it did with Peter, in different ways, the reality of things that we find disgusting, within cultures, within people groups, within people groups within our own nations, things that we just are turned off by, <coughs> whether it's immoral or not. The door is open for God to accept anyone. The emphasis here is on racial differences, racial backgrounds, and, but it extends beyond that as God has even shown with the conversion of Saul that he accepts sinners the chief of sinners people who seem like they're so far beyond being saved by God the pedophile who is hated by our community with understanding can turn to God and receive salvation and be accepted won't be accepted in any community won't be accepted to happily live in a particular house they'll be outed and shifted from here to there but God will accept even such a person sex traffickers even warmongers, slave traders greedy people like ourselves God will accept all who turn to him in repentance and accept the message of Christ even if that's you you might think you're like that yourself at my heart I'm disgusting at my heart I'm unacceptable I'm unacceptable to others I'm unacceptable to God great message of peace is that God brings peace brings us to peace with him through Christ no matter what we are like and it's all confirmed by the Spirit falling upon these people. Verse 44, While Peter was still saying these things, the Holy Spirit fell on all who heard the word. Peter's mid-sentence almost, and the Spirit falls upon them. God confirms the acceptance of the Gentiles as being amongst his people, that they too receive the Spirit. In fact, Peter himself is surprised. And all of his mates, Jewish mates there are surprised, verse 45. And the believers from among the circumcised who had come with Peter were amazed because the gift of the Holy Spirit was poured out even on the Gentiles. Yes, perhaps the Gentiles could believe the message. Perhaps the Gentiles could understand about the Christ. But they received the Spirit? That's, that's amazing. And I wonder whether... The Spirit cuts in on Peter's speech because he would never have got to the bit about repentance and faith. All of you must repent and believe the Gospel because perhaps Peter's not sure whether they actually should repent and believe the Gospel. They're not worthy of repentance, are they? They're Gentiles and the Spirit just cuts in and falls upon those who hear the message. This is not the pattern for how you do evangelism. You just speak until... Something happens. You need to call people to repentance, but it's not talking about that. I think we're seeing that Peter has not quite got it. And the Spirit brings people to new life. It might be still speaking if Peter, we're not given the opportunity. God breaks in. God breaks in. That's the Peter's speech, but he breaks into our broken system our broken sinfulness our sinful prejudices God breaks in God breaks in and acts to bring outsiders to himself we don't go searching for God, people today don't go searching for God, they go for searching for, to run away from God they go searching for ways to try and look like they're searching for God so that actually they can do their own thing what we need is for God to come in and act in ourselves and the Spirit comes in amongst the nations and turns these people to himself just as he has done with us God acts, it's a God thing, not an us thing if you trust in God and have new life in God it's something that God has done not you if you've been Christian for a long time, the problem is We trip over into thinking and slide over into thinking, actually, it was pretty much mostly me, I think, that chose God. I think that was me. No, this is what God has done because we never could. The peace that we seek to make is always done on our terms and for our good. God brings a peace where he brings the ugly, disgusting outsider into himself and receives in forgiveness so friends we do likewise as we have been forgiven and God has accepted us in. so we seek to accept others and bring others into relationship with God bring others into our communities and our gatherings as we do as we gather for dinner with dinner's it's a wonderful thing to do And to have people, not just our friends in there, but the people we don't know, the people who are different. As we have every Thursday night, we have Focus, where we have um, international students and people from all sorts of places coming together, people we wouldn't normally meet with, people we don't know from a bar of soap. We come together and eat together, included together in Christ. If you've never had the opportunity and never put yourself out have dinner with someone from another culture, from someone who's different to you in every way, then make sure you do that. Tonight, Stealth Cooking, come along to 19G026 and join with God's people. Make sure you do it. There are many ways that we could keep thinking how this works out for us, but recognising that God has had mercy on us in Christ let's give thanks pray. Father thank you for your gospel going to the nations and your spirit being poured out on all peoples. Father we give you thanks that in the Lord Jesus you've enabled us to come to you you've enabled us uh, and brought us into the life of your son Father we pray that we might never uh, count that as something we have done, but recognise that it's only by your grace in the Lord Jesus. And may that flow over as, into the lives of others as we seek to bring outsiders, people who are different from us, uh, into the orbit of our lives and into the into our groups that we meet with, and into our homes that we meet with. Father, we pray that you would fill us with your Spirit to include many and seek many come to Christ. Amen.